Welcome to Let's Chat, a platform for discussions around antiretroviral therapies. Today, we are discussing tenofovir alafenamide, or TAF, and its real-world application and best practice within the South African healthcare market. This podcast is brought to you by Activa Health in the interest of education, awareness and support. The content and opinions expressed are entirely those of the healthcare professionals and are not influenced by Activa Health in any way. These TAF podcasts are SOMA accredited. To access the CPD questionnaire, healthcare practitioners can click on the link in the show notes. Today, we chat to Drs. Osman Ebrahim and Eric Hefer about TAF versus TDF, giving an overview of the two molecules. Dr. Osman is a physician and clinical pharmacologist, very experienced in HIV AIDS and infectious diseases. He has demonstrated history of working in medical practice, both public and private, and the pharmaceutical industry. He is skilled in laboratory medicine, clinical research, laboratory skills, infectious diseases, and clinical trials. He is a lecturer in clinical medicine and clinical pharmacology. Dr. Osman currently works in a private practice in Johannesburg. He also teaches doctors at the universities of Pretoria and Witwatersrand, as well as teaching general practitioners after hours on the challenges of treating HIV. Dr. Eric is practicing as a general practitioner with special interest in the treatment of HIV and occupational health. His expertise has expanded to include comorbidities, fertility, diabetes, and oncology. Drs. Osman and Eric, thank you for your time. Let's chat. Hi, Oz. How are you doing? Hi, Eric. Good to see you after such a long time. It uh, has been, yes. Did you hear about uh, the TAF combinations being available? Absolutely. I've heard about the TAF coming in, and I think it is going to be really a new addition to the armamentarium against HIV and I think it's going to be really exciting to try and use this medication in our patients. We always look to you to explain complex things so that we can understand it mm-hmm. because you have the, the background and qualifications and you have that knack. What's the big issue? What's the big difference between TDF and TAF? Well, the the important thing is to remember is that TAF and TDF are basically the same drug. The difference is is the salt of the combination that they've done with tenofovir. So TAF stands for tenofovir alfenamide, and the TDF stands for tenofovir diproxyl fumarate. It's just the salt of the actual parent drug that's different. That's all it is. It is exactly the same drug, same efficacy, same everything. But it's an enormous difference in the milligrams from 300 to 25. Um, how do we know that that's... That sufficient? 25 milligram is going to work for a patient. Well, this is very interesting because by making it an alphenamide, you, it's actually a pro-drug of tenofovir. And this pro-drug is then broken down in the liver and in the peripheral blood mononuclear cells, which we all know is called macrophages. And these are the sites where HIV actually concentrates. These alphenamide salt 
is then activated. So that's why you need inside cells. That is why you need very, so it works intracellularly rather than actually from the blood. So that is why there's a big difference between 300 milligram of tenofovir when it is in combination with a diproxyl fumarate salt compared to with an alphenamide salt, which is only 25 milligram. But at the end of the day, it is the same drug, but because it is working intracellular, you need much less drug. Uh, I think that makes sense, doesn't uh, it? it yeah, I hope. Yes. Yeah, uh, and it seems to have an impact on the pool size. Absolutely, absolutely, which makes life easier for the patient. Absolutely, and and this is what we want, isn't it, Eric? I mean, we want the patients to feel. You know, because they're going to take this for the rest of their life. So we want them to be comfortable. You say it's the salt. So is there anything that will uh, inhibit or prevent the absorption or its release uh, that we have to Well, as far as absorption is concerned, very good point, Eric. Is it really going to make a difference whether food or not food? It's the same thing applies. You know, some people say it's, you get a better absorption when you take in with a, f- I don't know, in your practice, mm. what do you see? I mean, I, I tend not to worry about, because once we make food a fixation about taking a drug, it adds an other element to a patient's adherence. Because now they're rushing off to work and they say, oh my God, I didn't eat anything. Can I take this drug? And mm. this is the issue we must be at always aware. Do not make food an issue. And also, you know, am I taking this drug or must I take it exactly 8 o'clock in the morning? Can I maybe have a little bit? Take it 9. Something happened. My child was ill this morning and I had to drop her off to school or I take her to the doctor and I was a little bit, is it going to affect? No. Okay? And we need to give patients, make them feel great about themselves to adhere to the medicine and not make it a golden rule. This is what you do. This is how you do. It makes life difficult. And this is what we must get away when we are treating people. We must treat them as human beings like us, you know. Now that you mentioned food, how serious uh, is the weight gain issue? Because if you tell any patient this might cause weight gain, that's usually when you hear the door <laughs> rush out. No, so, Eric, you're absolutely right. I mean, at the end of the day, nobody wants to gain weight. And if you look at a lot of studies that have been used and published and that say that when you give TAF in combination with dolutegravir, you might get weight gain. And it it has been documented, especially in black women, they have shown that to be a, a real issue. But the question is, is it really tough that is making the weight gain or is another element coming into it to make you think that it is tough that is coming? Is it a drug per se or is it just, you know, a patient getting better, eating good food and then suddenly finding that this is the issue I'm gaining weight. Now, this is with me in my practice. What I like to do is when I, if I'm going to use staff in a patient, I always tell them that, listen, at the end of the day, you're going to feel really good. First, like you mentioned, Eric, that this is a smaller drug to take. It's much easier. You're going to enjoy it. And so you need, you're going to be 
adhering to it better. So the point is that because you feel well, you need to now control what you eat because all the inflammatory markers in your blood is going to come down. You're going to feel good. Your body is going to feel fantastic. The, the cytokines that are, were, that was driving the HIV was driving the inflammatory things is all going to be suppressed. So if you eat the same quantity of food and you don't watch what you eat, there is a chance you're going to gain weight. But it is under your control how much weight you gain or not. It is not so much the drug as much as you are also responsible as a patient to try and control this. So I can tell the patients they're not going to gain weight on fresh air. Absolutely. <laughs> Obviously. Absolutely. You're not going to get Absolutely. And um, how often I weigh my patients every time I see them um, and uh, usually don't tell them their previous recorded weight until they're on the scale. Is a biannual good enough for me to pick it up in time? Eric, we are restricted by how many times we can see a patient. You know that I don't have to tell you. Some medical aids or some insurance companies will allow you to, to do it three times a year, four times a year, which would be great. But we are sometimes restricted to twice a year and sometimes even once a year. Okay. But so long as we are monitoring this way, but we must encourage the patient to take responsibility to monitor their weight. And they can know, you know, if the, the size of the uh, uh, change, they need to inform you. You don't have to wait until the next visit, yeah. you know. So and then we can absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. And the, the weight gain is not like the protease inhibitors that had this trunk and thin arms or it's not going to stigma uh, or make the patient feel awkward. Eric, this is a very good point you raised. You know, we, we've all seen the weight gains of the protease inhibitors. We've seen of the terrible drugs by, called stafudine that used to do that terribly, where you get what we call lipodystrophy. And then you have your trunk goes up, your, the abdominal girt goes up. You get this buffalo hump, very thin legs, uh, no uh, fat on the face. This doesn't really happen. It's a generalized weight gain. Okay, and this and the patient doesn't look different than somebody who just gained weight and became inverted commas fat. Yeah, I and remember when patients wanted fillers and fat cell transplants into yeah. their, because they believed that everybody could immediately see. That's that the, right. That it, it won't be like that, yeah. but and they will notice this that they are oh, putting a few pounds, a few kilos, you know, and maybe I should go and tell my doctor about it. And we must encourage that. We mustn't say, oh, at your next visitor, that is not the way we want. We want the patients to take responsibility for their life, you know, and if they notice something unusual, they need to inform you. And the weight gain, is it, uh, uh, has it got any impact on the lipids or glycemic control? Now, tenofovir in the, in the form of TDF, okay, in the diproxyl fumarate salt has been shown to actually decrease your uh, cholesterol and your lipids. Okay. So this is a great 
thing when you have been diproxy. Now with the tough salt, there has been no effect on the on the actual lipid profile. So that's a good thing to monitor in a patient is actually let us get your baseline lipids and we'll see it when you come again. If I put you on tap that you are still at the same level or if it is any change, then we know it's not the actual molecule that has made. It's you that has gained weight, you that have changed your eating habits, etc., etc. That is causing the problem. Or just returning to your normal, normal. place. So absolutely. Determined by your absolutely. genes and age, etc. Yeah, and um, so the, the standard monitoring will pick it up in time, and the standard treatment will be sufficient. To, absolutely, if, if it qualifies uh, or becomes yeah, a problem. And, and for me, when we, absolutely the, the standard treatment should be the same, but I tend to avoid the older statins if I'm going to be treating, like you know, the simvastatin, mm. and I tend to rather use. Uh, the rosuvastatin, which I know, although the drug interactions between statins and I tend to try and use drugs that there will be no drug interactions with my molecules that I'm using for the treatment of HIV. So try and think of using those drugs, atovastatin, rosuvastatin, which has been shown not to really and has the effect that you want on your cholesterol. And we mustn't forget the other thing about statins when you are using it with ARVs. A lot of people then forget and they will say, doctor, I am now, I was completely well. I never had an issue, but now I feel my joints are sore. I find it difficult. My muscles, if I am going to the gym, I tire my, and this is not because of the HIV drugs or it is because of the statin. Maybe you should be decreasing the dose. Okay. So you can just and, do the CK. And uh, well, I don't think you will see much on CK. Mm. Okay, but it would be more the drug effect itself on 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 the on the muscle. It so, doesn't really cause a CK issue. Yeah. Because if the patient is forewarned, absolutely. If the patient mm. is forewarned, they will actually know. Oh, maybe I should tell my doctor that I'm suddenly getting a little bit. You know. So Painful joints. We can't call it the COVID weight gain or yeah. the festive season. Absolutely. <laughs> How is it secreted? Well, the, the important thing about tenofovir when it enters the body is not metabolized. It is almost entirely excreted via the kidney. And, it's the, and it goes into the kidney by two processes. The glomerular filtration, so it's filtered through, and then the tubules of the kidney actually secrete it out into the collecting ducts. Now, you, you say, what about the, uh, the, the this excretion with via the glomeruli, you know, the glomerular filtration, as we call it? The problem with that is that tenophobia itself is quite a big, big molecule. Okay, so now the kidney has to put in that extra effort to push it through the glomeruli to go into the tubules. And, and that is where the problem is, mm. is that this extra work on the kidney can perhaps cause a strain on the kidney. At the same time, when it reaches the tubules, they have to be actively secreted into the tubules by special uh, transporters. And this is where the, also the problem is that these things are now working over time. 
they are doing a task which was there for other natural things in the body. Now they have to cope with a, a, a medication. And this is where you may find that your kidney function may be affected. And this is where also you will notice that because we are using 25 milligram of tenofovir in the alphanamide salt, the TAF, compared to 300, there is less work on the kidney. So, because it's a much smaller amount. So automatically you can realize that TAF will be safer on the kidney rather than the old way of giving tenofovir, which was with it in the form of TDF. So, all I should be anticipating is the standard increase we see with the introduction of dolotegavir, where we see a slight increase in the creatinine. In the creatinine. But you, here, you really have to watch very, very carefully what happens with the kidney in your patient with tenofovir, because it can actually deteriorate a little bit further than just the actual increase in creatinine. You will notice that your EGFR, your glomerulonephrine, actually does drop quite a bit. And that is for you to be wary of and, and, and immediately act on it and not to leave it. So for me, the sort of thing that I like to do in my practice is that within two weeks or a month of patient taking a tenofovir salt. It doesn't matter if it is in the form of TAF or in the form of TDF. Maybe with TAF, I might extend it a little bit further down, but I would like to get another kidney function test. Mm. Just for me to be happy that nothing is happening that is causing problems with the patients taking a tenofovir. Okay, so, so the standard safety monitoring is adequate? Uh, Absolutely. And remember, most of the medical aids expect you to do these monitoring tests when you see the patients either uh, once or uh, twice a year or three times a year or four times a year. They would include that in the benefit of the patients that you monitor the kidney if a patient is on tenofovir. Am I right? I'm sure that it is the correct thing, isn't it, uh, Eric? Yes. Can we use it for PrEP? Well, TAF, as you know, tenofovir has proved itself as far as PrEP is concerned. There is no registration yet in in all guidelines that I know of. Maybe I'm wrong, Eric, you must correct me because you are a big user of PrEP, I know, in your practice compared to me. But I, there has been no studies. And we don't know if that 25 milligram is actually adequate for us to get that sort of control that we want to prevent uh, infection with HIV. But I would like to know what you think, because I know you are a big PrEP user. What have you ever thought of using TAP? Because it would be safer on the kidney of the, of the uh, of a healthy person compared to tenofovir uh, TDF. There's no dual drug combination available. Absolutely, so, so that's the other problem. Unless you give it together as a separate molecule with, yeah. with uh, 3TC or, or I, yeah. I, I think our patients have become a very, um, they expect simple one tablet, the fixed dose combination. It's, it's so much better than 20 years ago. Um, so um, I, I doubt it is a, for PrEP going to 
be be splitting it up, and, uh, and there might be some other cost implications in as well. That is also very true. I didn't mm. think about yeah. that. You're right. You're absolutely right. It will add to the cost, and it acts an extra tablet as well to take, which yeah. it makes it very uncomfortable. Yeah. And um, would you have any preference between the TAF L or TAF F? Is he interested to be in? Uh, or Lumavidin? Is there any? The question is whether FTC is more potent than 3TC. That has never, ever been shown, as far as I know, Eric, in studies. Mm-hmm. Okay? So I have no preference. The only thing that would make a difference is, is price, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. You know? If the price is better for the patient, why not? If the price is better for the medical insurance, why not? You know, but as far as potency is concerned, not really. Yeah, no, no, no. the and, and the FTC has been with us for so long, no, but um, and then we've always considered it to be interchangeable. Yeah, um, that um, I, you know, I'm not. Uh, there's only the skin darkening. That might, um. Now, that's a very interesting point. T- tell me a bit more, Eric, about the skin darkening, because, you, you know, this is yeah. a subject that a few patients have raised it with me. And yeah. I, I'm a little mm. bit wary about this, because I've not really been able to pinpoint if this is really a tenophobia effect. So please yeah. tell me more. I'm yeah. very interested in this now. The, the first problem is, is when people read the packaging. So, um, uh-huh. <laughs> Oh, okay. And then secondly, <laughs> we've got so many shades of color yeah. for, per season. Yeah. So um, if somebody, uh, of course, uh, the ARVs are blamed for everything first. Yes. Uh, not the mega doses of vitamin A that you're taking or yes, um, not putting on sunscreen, those kind of uh, matters. But uh, I have had some of the ladies that have uh, said that they would rather move back to the Mervidine because the Impositabine, uh, they, be- they believed, gave them skin darkening. But I don't see them every day. So it's not uh, observation. Observ- it okay. is, it is, but but uh, this is yeah. a very lovely point. I, I will make a point from now on to just monitor that. Eric, thank you for bringing it to my attention because uh, if it is an FTC effect, then we, we need to switch. If, it, if they feel more comfortable with a 3TC, I think that's a great thing. And at the end of the day, we want the patient to be happy. We want the patient to have a completely suppressed viral load because as you know, U equals U. And at the end of the day, if we can prevent the transmission of HIV, we must do everything to make that patient adherent. And if this is a small thing like even if it is not associated with the molecule, we need to take that into consideration if they feel this is the issue. Okay. No, I totally agree with you, Eric. I will uh, definitely try and do that. I wish I can find the beautician or the hairdresser <laughs> that's behind the story. But, um, the damage that a single tweet can do, doubt that it can cause is sometimes unbelievable after all the effort Putting in and getting somebody comfortable <laughs> that this is the cutting edge combination, and that's why <laughs> it's going to be uh, good for you. So, if I've got somebody that is starting to show signs of tenofovir, which I, or if I suspect has got tenofovir based uh, renal uh, d- damage, and I put them onto TAF, is it reversible? 
in my experience, okay, if somebody has got a tenophobia, renal damage, it's best to change the molecule completely before you reintroduce that. Just let us be 100% sure that both of them are being secreted. And, that, and like I explained to you, it's glomerular yeah. filtration, and it's, we don't know which one has gone wrong. So mm-hmm. best, take it out, get the patient settled, get that renal form, then reintroduce, not with tenophobia, DTDF, mm-hmm. but tenophobia, TAF. That might then answer your question, which one caused the problem, rather than just do a, a quick switch. Oh, it's okay to use uh, TAF in renal failure. I find it's either the paracetamols or the... Or the, the NSAIDs, the, which we don't realize. Exactly, that could have... Exactly. There are a lot of things that yeah. interact and cause uh, the kidney function to go off. And yeah. rather get that kidney completely settled back to his EGFR that you think is appropriate for the patient, then we will think, yeah. shall I change? And so many of these gym pre-workout things contain creatinine. And exactly. That's exactly what, what is causing the whole problem. Yeah. Absolutely, you are yeah. spot on there. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the comfort of being able to take a history and uh, eliminate other possible causes, I find that because there's other causes for it that you know, I don't accept that it's always the ARVs first. So try and, and that's something. a very important policy. Don't mm. accept it's always ARVs. Mm. Absolutely, Eric. Yeah. yeah. Because, because it's such a uh, reliable uh, drug and we've got years of experience with it and it has proven its potency and um, as a backbone, so um, just abandoning it on a single uh, uh, UNE, I think, is uh, might impair the patient's future choices because exactly, and yeah, we, we so. can't we can't do that. Mm. Remember, we can't just suddenly say no, we can't use this drug because of the kidney. You need to be sure that this was the cause before you just eliminate the drug from from the treatment uh, profile of the patient, mm. you know, absolutely. Very yeah. potent drug, works very well. We, we can't just throw it away. Yeah. Can I also use TAF with the patients uh, that might have hepatitis B? Uh, do I get the same benefit that we had with uh, tenofovir? Now, it's- Eric, it, it, this is something that we keep forgetting in our practice in in South Africa particularly is that hep B is very common mm-hmm. and and we we always ignore that this virus is actually a very important thing to look for when we have a patient either infected with HIV or even a patient that comes in without being infected with HIV we need to be aware we need to screen people for hepatitis B okay now you you might say that Okay, hepatitis B is a benign illness. It doesn't, the patient is well. Why should I treat it? True, we, we don't really treat. According to the WHO guidelines, if the patient has got a viral load of below 20,000 copies, we don't really need to, to treat that patient with hepatitis B. Okay, because the immune system of the patient will enable the patient hopefully to seroconvert and develop 
antibodies against hepatitis B. But we need to watch patients. If their viral load is high, one of the best drugs for treating hepatitis B is actually tenofovir in combination mm. with either FTC or in combination with 3TC. Mm. Now, in the form that we have at the moment, like you said yourself, Eric, we don't have TAF in combination with 3TC or FTC. But yes, TAF itself would be a very useful drug to use in the treatment of Hep B, because like I mentioned in the first, it's a pro-drug, and one of the places it concentrates in is the liver, and it is converted into the active tenofovir in the liver. So TAF itself would have a great effect on hepatitis B if we add it in the right combination. So I can just check for Hep B immunity, because I think the PCR will cost more than the it three energy cost, Yeah, but if you have an HBS antigen yeah. positive, yeah. then you need to go and do the viral load. Mm. Is there really an uh, uh, active happy multiplication or is it just HBS antigen? We can be positive for, for many, many years mm. in patients without having the virus. Yeah, I find that uh, although I give the patient three scripts for zero or the first injection I give, and then the second one a month, a month later, later, and, and then the, the last one and, and, six months. And this is the thing. We don't do that so much in this country, okay? And when I was practicing in the UK, this was an absolute must, especially in our MSM population. They need to have that happy protection. Yeah. And, and we don't do it enough. We don't vaccinate enough. And this is something, if you are, you don't have immunity, vaccinate your patient because we're preventing problems further down the line. And this is great, Eric. This is, this is the way you sh- that's the way, the correct way of practicing. Absolutely correct. Yeah, well, TAF is a, a huge step forward, but the next step, the big, next big change will not have any tenophobia. So we might as well start screening and vaccinating now. For that, that day that we, uh, absolutely not mm-hmm. use it in, 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 in uh, main of mainline treatment. So it's fine to start the patient on it and I can switch my patients that are stable and suppressed. Definitely not somebody thinking that it's going to be more potent. Don't do it for potency. Yeah. Absolutely correct. Okay. Yeah. I've got a few patients that is on TLD plus a Protease inhibitor that's boosted. So would that have an effect as well? There is a problem with the boosting, but I'm thinking of actually a boosted tenofovir at 15, a uh, TAF at 15 um, milligrams is the way it's renal protective, but we don't have that formulation. But the, the boosted PIs, I think, is probably more leaning towards an additional weight gain uh, issue. Well, there's two things here, Eric. If you look at a protease inhibitor, the first thing we need to understand is what is a boosted protease inhibitor, is that it has got that novia component. And what does the novia component do to the kidney? Okay? And this is something most people forget, that this novia component affects the drug transporters in the kidney as well. 
okay? They inhibit the drug transporters in the kidney as well. So now when you have a combination of tenophobia with the protease, which yes, we tend to do with the old salt, the diproxyl fumarate in certain patients, we need to watch that kidney extra careful. Okay. Because now your, the child, in fact, in the old protease inhibitor, which was lopinavir, it was notorious to cause damage to the kidney with tenophobia. It, it accelerated that. Now, when we have TAF, which is, as you know, is 25 milligram, and now we want to use it, we need to be aware suddenly the level of the alphenamide salt is going to increase and we might precipitate toxicity of tenophobia. So we need to be aware we should not be using TAF, okay? Because a lot of patients, for example, have got the Runavir boosted with Acryptega or one of these drugs. I, I'm just mentioning yeah. a, a trade name for now, but the one which has got a TLD, which is acceptable because we have found, according to the resistance profile, this is the best treatment to use. But we need to be aware we can't do that with a tough DTG combination and put that together with a protease inhibitor because it will cause toxicity Thanks. of the tenophobia. Thanks for clearing that up for me. The final question uh, before we uh, break, is the resistance profile the same? Do I need to anticipate anything else? Or is it, it, as you say, it is It's just, the you know, same molecule. You must not expect anything to be different when it comes. If, if it is resistance to your tenophobia, it's going to be resistance no matter what the salt is. And I would tend to avoid uh, using tenophobia if there is proper tenophobia resistance. And again, when it comes to resistance, Eric, you know yourself is uh, being an experienced treater, is that you, you need to be aware that there are various mutations that you need to look for. It's not just because they tell you resistance, you can't use it, or it's susceptible, you can use it. You need to see which are the critical mutations that are there. Because just further down the line, one month, two months, you're going to find a drug failure. So it's best to discuss this with the virologist. It's best to discuss it with an exp a very more experienced reader than you are, maybe, Eric. And then have, because two brains is always better than one. And we need to be aware of that when it comes to, don't make decisions without discussing it, you know, because you are condemning a patient to a treatment that might fail further down the line or a treatment that might work further down the line. Uh, it's one of the things that uh, uh, I fear that colleagues read the resistance test as an antibiogram. Absolutely. And um, uh, resistant to augmenting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, well, I'm really excited about seeing the impact of it, but um, I think we might have a, a bit of a challenge in motivation for the price difference. This is the issue about using TAF. You see, is the price difference and whether our medical insurance is going to allow it to be, to be used. Where are we going to place it? But it's a great drug to have. And we can, now, Eric, you, you, you mentioned where would I use that? Now, one thing that I have found and I have done it already in my practice is that I, you know, I have, when we had renal problems, okay, we used to switch patient to abacavir. 
combination. You know that mm. I don't have to mm. tell you. And and for me, what this has added is that it has now allowed me to use a tenophobia, which, as you know, mm. inverted commas, is a bit more potent than a bacovia. And a bacovia, as your patient is getting older, can develop cardiac issues as they get older with a bacovia. So. Is mm. now we've opened the door. We've got a place to use that and have successfully done that. The medical aides have never ever complained. You say, I want to remove a patient from an abacavir combination to a TAF combination. They told me no issue. So long as my EGFR is not below 30. Yeah. Okay. So this is a great place to put your, uh, your TAF is, you know, if you feel that abacavir is an issue. In your patient. Yeah, because the uh, HLA-B57... That's another issue. Is yeah. another which was we, you've we, got to motivate for it. And yeah. I think it's 1,400 rand. Exactly. Um, exactly. So that, now you've got a combination that you can use without having to worry about it. And it's still not a guarantee. Not, that, yeah. that something can't go horribly wrong. Yes. Yeah. Well, as always... It's a great pleasure <laughs> spending so. time with you, um, your, your, your wisdom and, uh, that uh, you're a great teacher. Make, make <laughs> no, thank you very much, Eric. I enjoy talking to you because we, we've been through a lot in HIV over the years and, and I know I learned a lot from you as well, you know. It, it has been exciting, but I think our patients need to, hear that we are staying up to date with what is the latest in therapeutics. That's the whole point. And that um, the perception very quickly arises that uh, we are a third world country and thus the uh, whatever the state guideline is, is the cheapest there is. Um, and that's the best kind, the best treatment. We must get away from that. We must use what is best for the patient. Absolutely. Eric, well said. Thanks, my friend. Have a lovely day. Thank you.